Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission, to explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to a special Encore series of Trekking Through Compliance. This series will focus on the 2020 television show, Picard. In this series, I'm joined by Megan Doherty. Megan is co-founder and partner at One Stone Creative, a podcast production firm. Megan is a Star Trek aficionado, although a Voyager Star Trek aficionado. And as all you listeners know, I'm an original series aficionado. Nevertheless, we both love Jean-Luc Picard, and we are going to explore the lessons learned and the shows and our love for Star Trek in the context of Picard. So sit back and enjoy this special presentation from Trekking Through Compliance. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox and Megan Doherty back for the final two episodes of Picard. Uh, Today, we're going to take up episode nine, Et in Arcadia, Ego, or Ego, I suppose. Uh, In this uh, episode, Picard's brain abnormality has become terminal. He's on his last mission to save and find uh, androids that he believes to be Data's children. Turns out the Romulans are looking for them, too. Of course, they have been, and they want to destroy them. As we know, the Romulans invaded Starfleet, orchestrated a band on synthetic life, but now they found through Narek the synth homeworld. Picard and his friends find, arrive at this world to find a yet another Dr. Soon. This is Alton Inigo Soon, a previously unknown organic son of Noonien Soon, Soon, and a plethora of synths on the planet, the uh, Capellius. Picard, knowing the Romulans were on the way, calls in a message to Starfleet reporting a first contact, and he believes slash hopes slash prays that the Federation will protect them. A bad synth, Sutra, and we'll explain why, uh, mind melts with Agnes. We didn't know that non-Vulcans could mind meld. Uh, and is able to explain uh, the real meaning, or at least an alternative meaning, of the warning created by the Zatvash. Sutra... Uh, then designs a beacon to summon an advanced synthetic life form to save her people and all the organics. Jurati, Megan's evil twin, (laughs) took their side, vowing to die for her children, and the synths lead Picard away to house arrest. All looks (laughs) bad for the good guy. So. uh, Oh, it's so good. (laughs) This was an awesome episode, Megan. You want to? You want to start with the opening scene and how it was awesome? Well, I, I had, I mean, just the, the biggest thing I noticed is I'd almost forgotten Picard had a brain injury. So that was almost like learning it again <laughs> when that came up. Uh, but the opening scene when they, they were fighting with Narek, uh, you know, just getting in, finding the world, um, the, the cloaking device trick with the ship in multiple places, that was very, very good. Um, they hit us with a flower is probably my favorite line of the episode. It was <laughs> really well delivered and really funny. And how gorgeous were those flower ships? Those were so cool. So you want to describe that? 
Yeah. So the um, uh, as as the crew of the Les Arena is fighting Narek, uh, and they're dealing with that, and all of a sudden there's this bogey coming from the planet. No, it's five bogeys, and they appear to be giant floating space flowers. Uh, they are called orchids, and they are, I guess, the synths spaceship uh, type of, of planetary defense system. Um, and then, of course, the Borg cube appeared out of nowhere, which was surprising to all. So when I saw the orchids, uh, it reminded me actually of uh, Farpoint, Encounter at Farpoint. Oh, okay. Uh, so I really uh, like that. The uh, the computer graphics on the fight scene between <gasps> Narek's ship and La Serena was awesome. I mean, it, it was, was really good. <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, uh, um, Soji... Uh, the facial shots of her, I thought, perfectly captured her awe, mm-hmm. a W E of uh, of arriving at her home planet. Mm-hmm. Um, there, this episode started off uh, posing some huge philosophical questions that go on not only through this throughout this episode, but also in uh, the, the ultimate episode, uh, uh, episode ten, which we'll get to in another podcast. Um, but I have to ask, how cool was it to see another Doctor soon? Oh man, yeah. When, when he showed up after, like the whole like entry into Synthville, I thought was really cool. Like it was, so, it was so well done. It was beautiful. It was calm. All these synths are gorgeous and playing three dimensional chess. And uh, and then then Data shows up. I mean, not really Data, but but Brett Spinner being the son. It was I thought a really nice. I, I hadn't been expecting. To see him there, that was that was pretty rad. So the three dimensional chess that was an homage to TOS. <laughs> I thought it might be. <laughs> the second episode, Spock and Kirk played three dimensional chess for the first time, and that was a big part. It was a, a show called mm-hmm. Charlie X, but they play throughout the the original series. So I almost <laughs> flipped out when I saw, saw that, and uh, my wife said, "Finally, said, calm down." <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, um, but you're right. That just started the adventure. So, how did you uh, kind of uh, feel about the the various synth models? And obviously, um, Sutra uh, had the, the the mean streak. She was mm-hmm. the mean girl. But how did you feel? Um, I, I was a little put off by the mind meld. I didn't think non-Vulcans could do that. Yeah, I think that they they sort of glossed it over. Um, but I, I guess the assumption is that it, it is a skill rather than like a species related ability. I, I don't know. I, I think they might've played a little fast and loose with that. Um, un- unless part of the organic, I guess half of Sutra's self was from Vulcans rather than ether. I don't know if you can use like human or like organic source material to create a synth body. <laughs> might be the <laughs> the explanation for that but that that's a stretch that's a stretch um they had to find a way to translate the admonition though so they were probably like like that had to happen for the, the finale to take place so they may have just been reaching for it did you find the alternative or the uh synth interpretation of the admonition uh valid within the story structure um i i really did actually i was i was kind of on team synth once we heard the real admonition, I'm just like, okay, yeah, no, end organic. This is this is what has to happen. I get it. So <laughs> I, I thought it, it it really did the job well for that. So one of the questions uh, I think that went on through goes on through both of these two episodes is, 
can organics and synths coexist? If one is superior uh, intellectually and physically, does that necessarily mean there's has to be a genocide or annihilation of the organics? I like to think not. Um, <laughs> it would be really nice to believe they can live together in harmony. Um, if all organics are like humans, uh, there would be a difficult time accepting one's permanent second place <laughs> in the, the order of the galaxy. <laughs> but <laughs> stranger things have happened. I guess I, I default back to, you know, I didn't get the memo that Skynet has become self-aware, so I'm really not too concerned about it as yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were so much, <laughs> uh, so many homages, so many just wonderful scenes. The the village itself, I thought, uh, was incredible. The, um, the mm-hmm. synth self-awareness, I thought, was interesting. They obviously are self-aware of themselves. They are self-aware of organics or humans. Do you think that they had an understanding of how they should interact, or was that just lacking because of lack of contact with organics? They, they had Alton. Uh, they had the, the new soon as kind of their their organic representative, I suppose. Um, but every other time they'd have interacted with them has ended up very violently. So when when uh, Jana and Flower went out and were were you know, brutally murdered by the organics, that and the guy they live with that's their total understanding of organics. So uh, it's hard to know. Like they have tons of knowledge and seem to be able to access like this amazing database of galactic knowledge. But do they really know like how many organics they are and how many different kinds of lives there are? And I don't know if they have a, a understanding of the scale of organic life. So there were lots of uh, uh, moving, some even touching moments in there. And I really wanted to, to talk with you about the moment between Rafi and Picard. And I don't know if you want me to give my interpretation first or you I would love to hear your interpretation first. So people listening to this podcast obviously can't see us, but I'm quite a bit older than Megan. And <laughs> and that informs this next part a little bit because uh, over the years I've seen secretaries and administrative staff, and I think it's a well-worn trope that those positions sometimes fall on with their bosses. And that's what it struck me as. It, not that she was administrative staff, she was an officer in Starfleet, but she worked with what she perceived was a great man, uh, which we all believe part Picard to be, and that she had fallen in love with that great man, and that she cared about him deeply. And, and I don't mean to suggest any way, shape, or form that, that those feelings she had, that love she had, how she felt for him was wrong or incorrect, even in Me Too, it, it's just that uh, it just struck me that it was a junior figure falling in love with a senior figure who was a, a great figure. Um, so that was kind of my interpretation. And that really led to why he responded in the way he did, which we'll take up after you give me your interpretation. It, the thought of kind of like a, a romantic type of, of love or affection didn't actually cross my mind. Um, for me, it was more, it was more, it felt kind of platonic or paternal the way she was feeling about him she wanted this love from an authority father figure maybe more than a, a potential romantic partner mm. um yeah okay. so I, we're not that far off pardon yeah yeah so I, but i think and then also to maybe even just 
you know, friendly love, someone you've just, you've been through a lot with and then missed for a really long time and then got back into your life while you're dealing with all this other emotional stuff, who's probably going to die and you're about to die. And, you know, maybe saying I love you is a nice thing you should just do to people you care about. (laughs) Well, I thought his response was perhaps the more interesting one to me, because at first I thought it was forced. Then I thought, no, maybe he is just acknowledging her to kind of assuage, assuage her feelings a little bit. What did you think about his response? I kind of got that he's just not used to talking about the mushy stuff very much. (laughs) Okay. You know, he might feel these things, but he doesn't say them very often. Right. You know, he's always expressed his feelings by his actions um, as a character. And so actually verbalizing, yes, colleague and friend, I love you, is out of character. But like... She really expressly was like, please engage with me in this particular way. <laughs> and he's just like, all right, if I must, <laughs> if you have to hear the words out loud. <laughs> well, uh, I guess I would say, Megan, that I saw true love between he and Riker uh, when they were together at Riker's home. Yes. Yes, so much. So much. But I think they'd also, they'd kind of become more, well, I guess all of the relationships sort of equalized over Picard, didn't they? Because Riker and, and Picard were kind of on more of an even footing. And, you know, Rafi's not Picard's direct report anymore. Uh, you know, they're on a team right. now in a, in a more functional way. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. So what about the bad girl, Sutra? Her manipulation. How did she learn that manipulation? And how did she know that's what her people needed to come to the decision they wanted her to come to? And did... Was her decision influenced by the admonition, or did she want that all along? I think she wanted it as soon as she found out it was a possibility. Uh, and I think that was, like, the most, like, her immediately going to, yes, my people must survive at the expense of all organics, like, that was the most lifelike thing about the sins. Like, th- right. them existing on the spectrum of good to bad and compassionate to not compassionate. Um, yeah, and, I mean, she had lost her sister. She was the first one to lose... A family member, right? So that bitterness was probably pretty strong in a way for her that it wouldn't right. be for most people. What, what did you think about it? She was very manipulative and uh, she just kind of reminded me of uh, Shannon Doherty in uh, Beverly Hills 90210 uh, or something like that. Just a manipulative little witch in training uh, in the teenage years, although she had graduated to probably adulthood. Um, but she, that's right, that's right. I mean, if that's not teenage angst, I don't know what it is. Adolescence straight to genocide. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, maybe it is, maybe it is teenage angst. And, you know, like the feelings are just so big that this hugely outrageous reaction seems like the most logical thing to possibly do. Right. But as you correctly noted, uh, their only experience with organics had been uh, negative. Mm-hmm. And they had been unceremoniously murdered when that came, uh, when that first contact was made by Rios and uh, his captain. So perhaps there was some factual basis behind mm-hmm. her uh, logical decision or some logic behind her decision, I guess. So we had lots and lots and lots of awesome cookies in this one. I talked about the 3D chess. Why don't you give me a couple and then I'll take a couple. Well, I, I don't know if this one is necessarily a cookie, but um, how cool was that sonic screwdriver? <laughs> Very cool. I, that, that was, I think, my favorite piece of tech that I've seen 
it was so cool. And watching Rafi and, and Rios try to figure it out was fantastic. Um, my favorite cookie cookie um, was Spot 2. That, that. <laughs> oh, Spot 2. And it made me remember um, the scene where Data was teaching Worf how to take care of the cat. Right. <laughs> you must call it a nice kitty and a pretty kitty. And Worf's just holding the creature just like, I don't like anything about this. Right. So, yeah, that, that was my favorite one. So there were, uh, in addition to the uh, 3D chess and the space orchids around the encounter at Farpoint, uh, I really loved when they went to Red Alert and the seatbelts popped on. <laughs> yes, yes, I had That was very, very good. But there were three cookies from the original series, uh, three additional ones. So when they uh, just arrive uh, and uh, in orbit of the planet, Picard asked Raffi for a status report. She says, Class M. Well, Class M Planet was in the uh, pilot. Mm-hmm. First time they used that back, that was the cage. Um, there was a line about homicidal fungus in the context of uh, whether Girardi would take a phaser or not. And she said, well, you may, you may see homicidal fungus. That's actually a reference to a TOS episode called mm-hmm. Conscious of the King, where uh, Kirk was one of eight survivors of, of a massacre because the uh, colony's food supply had been attacked by a fungus. And the governor of the colony killed uh, all of the, or, or most of the colonists so that a few would live, and Kirk was one. And then finally, the golem. That's actually a yet another uh, TOS cookie because uh, in an episode called Return to Tomorrow, uh, there are three individuals whose uh, brains are kept alive for millennia. One was called Sargon. He was the leader and the most strongest and the most powerful. And they were all looking for bodies to hang out in. <laughs> and uh, the um, golem, I'm a big uh, horror movie buff. Mm-hmm. And a golem, of course, is a tradition from uh, Jewish folklore about a, a mythical being that protected Jews in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was uh, cool that they would call them that. Um, any others for you? Um, not so much. I think, I think um, as you've kind of pointed out, a lot of the cookies were from TOS, which I'm not as familiar with personally. So a lot of them probably went over my head. Um, kind of a within the series um, cookie, I thought that kind of when... Arcana, one of the since was looking at Picard and really examining the, the the kind of the wrinkles on his face and the way he was constructed, um, was very much how Agnes looked at Soji from an episode a couple of hmm. uh, episodes back. So it was like I think they were really drawing parallels um, between you know the good guys, the good organics, and the good synths, and the bad organics, and the bad synths because the way Sutra was acting uh, when she was dealing with Narek right before letting him go was just the way Narissa was treating Narek at the beginning of the series. <laughs> like the body language was the same and equally creepy except with the less incest. So I thought the parallels they were trying to draw about the good guys and the bad guys across um, organic and inorganic borders was really interesting. I also wanted to say a word about the title, which I'm sure I butchered the, uh, the original Latin. Um, but roughly translated, it means even in Arcadia, there I am. And in uh, ancient Latin, Arcadia was meant utopia. And uh, the I, the word I, 
not E-Y-E, but a letter I, that actually translates to death. So what it means is even in utopia, uh, death is there, which uh, I thought was a really, really interesting uh, title, and it really set up both of these episodes. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a great episode. I had a ton of fun. Uh, with it, uh, it was an emotional roller coaster. It was uh, an action roller coaster, and all I can say is it prepared us for the end. <laughs> it did. Anything else you'd like to add, Megan? No, I think uh, I think that covers it for me on this one. Okay, well, this is Tom Fox and Megan Doherty. That was Picard episode nine. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow, where we take up or our next episode, I should say, where we take up the final episode, episode ten. Megan, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Back at you, Tom. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.